in our time, we have come to understand that science, the latest scientific discoveries and spiritual wisdom are in harmony. They corroborate each other. And so knowing that, whenever we do find scientific evidence and spiritual wisdom that connect and are saying the same thing, we know that we have some pretty good evidence right there. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. We live on a conscious planet that is innately intelligent and inherently alive. We're part of its evolutionary journey. Dr. Jude Curavan has detailed the 13.8 billion year story of Gaia, where everything in existence has inherent meaning and evolutionary purpose. The insights gleaned in this science-packed manuscript take us on a journey from simplicity to ever greater complexity, diversity, and self-awareness. Today, we'll say from simplicity to ever greater wholeness. So what do we get when we add a new story of wholeness to the story of Gaia? We're going to find out when Dr. Robert Atkinson joins me and my co-host Jude Curavan for this series on the big breath and the evolutionary journey of our conscious planet. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths with me. Bring your awareness into your heart. Relax and open your mind. Settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our co-host and our guest for today, Dr. Jude Curvin is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, The Cosmic Hologram. Jude just published The Story of Gaia, which has inspired this series, The Big Breath and the Evolutionary Journey of Our Conscious Planet. And Dr. Robert Atkinson is an award-winning author, educator, and developmental psychologist. As the author of both The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness, and the newly released A New Story of Wholeness, an experiential guide for connecting the human family. Bob has much to contribute to our conversation today. So welcome, Bob and Jude. Thank you, Julie. Julie. It's it's my thrill to be co-host on this series, and it's a, a massive joy to be joined by our dear friend, Bob Atkinson, as our first guest on this exploratory journey together. So thank you both. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Welcome. Great to be with you. Thank you. We are going to have a delightful conversation. And, you know, for nine years, I've done the Dr. Julie show and had a traditional first question. But Bob, during this 10th year, I really want to make it more personal and intimate right up front. So I'm going to move us from the head and our more academic understanding of all things connected into the heart and our more personal relationship. So Bob, in the spirit of all things connected, can you share with our listeners, what has been your personal connection and relationship with Gaia, our living conscious planet? Mm. Wow. Always a new twist in the road here. And I like like that twist because um, it gets, it gives made the opportunity to really think about um, something that's been with me forever, really. I mean, I I don't know if I can consider myself typical at all, but um, one of the things that really connected me to the book, The Story of Gaia, was my own experience uh, as, a, uh, as a Gaian from a very early age. And, and I of course, really wasn't aware of it at the time because I'm talking about as as young as I was able to 
leave my home on my own, what I, what I somehow was drawn to and discovered that I really enjoyed the most was just getting out, walking in the woods near my house, following the stream near my house, being in nature. And that really is one of the first things that connected me to to Jude's book, the story of Gaia is being, because for me, it was from the very beginning, it was about a relationship that I had without even being fully aware of what that meant at the time. I mean, you know, I was quite young when I was able to go off on my own, you know, and, and, but, but what that was like for me, I mean, I think, you know, we all have our own understanding of what right relationship involves. But to me, it was continually living in wonderment and gratitude with respect and acknowledging all the moments of mystery and grace we experience living on this remarkable planet in this divine creation. And in that way, over the years, I began to realize that and not necessarily in these terms, but in being a Gaian, it was like the earth became like a wise elder to me in that it guided me. And it was what I learned from in every precious moment that I was in nature. She taught me how to live my life and through the reflection of the way of nature and the natural laws that surround us. It was something that started for me way before I knew where it was even leading me or what it was, what it even meant. But I really do feel fortunate in that regard because from that early age, I really did want to and was drawn most to the wonder of nature's creations, especially as an only child, being able to go out on my own as often as I could. And, and um, just to kind of take that to where it did lead me, that early fascination with nature really served me well many decades, well, not many, a couple of decades later when I was living in a cabin in the woods near the Hudson River where I reflected deeply on the meaning of nature. I mean, then I was, at that time, I was in my mid-20s, I was more conscious than I was and I wanted to reflect deeply on the meaning of nature around me. So I was able to see with the eyes of reverence and awe as I observed the leaves of the trees bound by the seasons, yet fluttering with joy in the breeze, and the leaves being brightest just before their fall, going gloriously. And though the trees sleep in winter, they stand with inner certainty of their spring awakening. And then I reflected a little further on observing that and wondered what shackles have we but those we strap on to ourselves. Our greatest freedom lies in knowing our own connection with all of creation. Mm. That last part I just had to throw in there, that was actually from my memoir of that time. That's but it, it's been a long-standing evolutionary process of my own, recognizing that re the innate relationship with Gaia. It's beautiful. Bob, I'm going to jump in here and have you expand on that before I let Jude jump in here with a question, because you wrote an endorsement of the book, and I just want to read it. It was beautiful. The beauty of the story of Gaia highlights the interdependent nature of all beings in a web of wholeness. Jude Curavan writes with a deeply held gratitude, wonderment, reverence, and love for all that came before, all that is, and all that will be, revealing, as she conveys so brilliantly well, what the universe, that the universe, too, has a soul. I love that. And I love the poetic answer of your personal relationship and how that began. It was so young for you. And I... I wanted to jump in here because you said something important. You introduced a term that we're all starting to warm up to. Michael Linfield, I think, was the first person that said it to Jude about being Gaian. And so I just want to like pause 
and ask you to expand on that a little bit more, Bob, because I think it's it's an important distinction that more than being human, we're being Gaians. And that brings in that intimate personal relationship. I'm wondering if you could perhaps speak to the difference of what it means to be human, but really in evolutionary terms and with our consciousness, what does it mean to be Gaian? And how can we really pull this language through now for all of us, not just in reading this book and and really having that deeper personal experience with the book speaking to us, but what does it mean to be Gaian versus to be human, in your opinion? In my opinion, which is because I'm sure there are many others that are equally as, as uh, interesting and valid. For me, that's a, that term represents a, um, a really important aspect of the awareness that comes with our journey toward unitive consciousness. And it's similar, I think, also to some other terms that we're, that we've been familiar with, but there's a very important difference as well. And so I'm thinking of terms like world citizen. That's a term that's been around for a long time. That's fairly well known. I mean, even in UN circles, maybe, but that term world citizen is very different than my sense of what being a Gaian is. I mean, as a world citizen, we have that sense that we're not just a citizen of one locality or one nation, but the world as a whole. That's usually meant more on a social or even, you know, other, other level, but mostly social and maybe political. But for me, Gaian is both similar and different because Gaian really implies that deeper, actually innate connection, as I was trying to explain earlier, that we all have being born on this planet. And the sense of being a Gaian, to me, therefore, relates much more to our relationship with nature, with the planet we come from and live on as our natural home, natural living home. So Gaian, you know, is much more that innate relationship we have with with nature around us. Thank you, Bob. That was so beautiful. I, I mean, I think Julie and I are both getting this sense of your lived experience of being a Gaian. And I know when Michael Linfield first introduced me to that term, it was very much of instead of us perceiving as humans, our planetary home, nature, Gaia being outside of us, that Gaia lives within us and we live within Gaia. So it's a profoundly intimate, experiential, embodied sense. And I know Julie will join me. I mean, we're both getting chills or hearing your, you know, and a lifelong experience, how wonderful it must have been for you to grow up you're having that freedom as a little boy and, and just wandering through the woods. I, I, I almost feel I'm back there with you, you know, with this sense of curiosity and wonder and gratitude and reverence. So thank you. Thank you for that. And I have a question that for you that sort of relates to your acclaimed expertise as a developmental psychologist, as someone who is an expert on storytelling and narrative. And I think we'll come back to this a little later. And we talk perhaps about the work that the three of us are involved with, with a unitive narrative. But for now, you've noticed that the organization of the book, The Story of Gaia, is a story of itself. It, it begins 13.8 billion years ago, and it sort of tells through chapter on chapter um, the, the ongoing story of our evolutionary universe. I'd love you to share a little bit about how you feel the storytelling of the book helps to deepen that sense of us all being not just Gaians, but, but also microcosmic co-creators of a universe that exists essentially to evolve? Mm, yeah, great question, Jude. Um, thanks for the opportunity to, to look into that a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, story is really important to everything, and I completely understand why you chose to 
not only tell the story of Gaia in the way you did and, and, and at all, but, and, and also that the way you did structure it. Because as we all know, story has its own kind of built-in pattern. And on one level, that pattern is very obvious to anyone familiar with stories and storytelling. It's a pattern that we might think of as beginning, middle, and end. And that's fine for one level of storytelling. But the story of Gaia goes to a much deeper and broader and inclusive, all-encompassing level. And I try to try to do the same thing in my book, A New Story of Wholeness. Uh, there I really try to uh, decode the pattern that's hidden within the story structure uh, itself. And before I go on to that, I mean, that's really also built upon uh, a, another principle that I think both of our books are are guided by, and, and that's what I would think of as the principle of, uh, the, the hermetic principle of as above, so below, all things accomplishing the miracles of the one thing, which Plato also envisioned when he said, perhaps there is a pattern set up in the heavens for one who desires to see it, and having seen it, to find one in himself. So with that in mind, that larger principle of as above, so below, and, th and that there might be a pattern connecting above and below. We can look at the deeper structure of story and find that when we go to the deeper level of story, there's a pattern within it that represents the core of the process of transformation. And that basic structure is for, for a story is on a deeper and more meaningful level is beginning, muddle, and resolution. And that pattern is one that, as I mentioned, does represent the core of the process of transformation. And there are many other uh, ways of knowing and practices that do the same thing, that focus on that core pattern of transformation, like, uh, you know, in, in mythology and mysticism, rites of passage, even psychology has their own version of that beginning, muddle, and resolution. So I, I what I really like about the way you told the story of Gaia is that <clears throat> you built in without necessarily making it totally evident that the story of Earth is also built upon a process of transformation. And that's something that I think you might, might have been referring to that we will talk more about later, but that's what's sort of hidden within the structure and the pattern of story is the process of transformation that we all individually go through many times in our own lives and, as Jude may say more about later, that Earth may have gone through many times in her life as well. Thank you, Bob. Bob, I'm wondering, um, with that, if you have a, a question for Jude about that, was there anything that you wanted to ask her about how she wrote that book? I think we've had a conversation about that. Yeah, well, what, and so in my reading understanding of the book, what I really do like is the way, as I mentioned, the way that you tell the story of Gaia. And as a developmental psychologist myself, and from a big picture perspective, it's the developmental approach you take in telling this incredible story that, that really drew me in. And so in the book, we can see clearly that Gaia, our planetary home, has gone through pretty much the same stages as we do. We all have our own origin story with ancestors, a heritage, family and parents, with our own birth, emergence, and all the lessons that come with adolescence, which is followed by maturity. So my two-part question for you is, first, I'm curious about why you chose that structure to tell the story of Gaia in. And second, 
whether you see, as many developmentalists do, stages within stages or growth from one stage to another that includes this pattern of transformation, much like we see in the cycles of nature itself with periods of growth, maturation, decline, and renewal. And if you see that in the story of Gaia, what are the implications of that for us all to be aware of? Great question. Thank you for a really easy question to answer. Thank you, Bob. Long question, easy answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think to begin with, it was something you said about, you know, I write at the beginning, our stories don't begin with us. You know, the, our stories really go back as far as we can have a memory of, you know, whether it's parents telling us or grandparents or however far back it may go. And of course, as scientists, we're now able with the technologies we have to go back to the origins of our entire universe. And given that all of the evidence, which is now converging with universal wisdom teachings is, is, is revealing, is that our universe does exist and evolve as a, a unified entity and where mind and consciousness aren't something we have, but literally what we in the whole world are. So by being able to go back those 13.8 billion years, as Julie mentioned, to the very origins of our universe, it seems that that is Gaia's story, because although she didn't come into being until some nine billion years down the, down the trail, everything that she embodies and therefore we embody began at that first moment 13.8 billion years ago. And I also felt that it was important to show the evidence and the realization that that beginning was not as a big bang <laughs> insofar that it wasn't big. We know it was minute. It was just being facetious calling it big. But, you know, we've been taught that it was a bang. And that, in a way, sets the scene for all the rest of what we've been taught of a chaotic beginning, an implied chaotic beginning, to a paradigm that's basically of a meaningless and purposeless, purposeless universe where somehow evolution proceeds by random occurrences and somehow consciousness arise somewhere during the way. And what I really wanted to do or to serve Gaia and serve the story of our entire universe needed to go back to that first moment to show that first moment was not chaotic. It was the first moment of an exquisitely ordered and fine-tuned and ongoing big breath so that ever since as space has expanded and times flowed forward, our universe has been able to evolve, you know. And so what's being shown us now is, is what you used to talk about, the patterns of above, so below, the indigenous teachings, the universal wisdom teachings, is of a meaningful and purposeful, a universe that meaningfully exists to purposefully evolve and its innate impulse to evolve is really the story of Gaia because that is the story that takes us from the innate simplicity right at the beginning hydrogen to all the complexity and the diversity and the interconnected interbeingness of where we are now so I, I felt I needed to to share the whole story and along the way share incredible moments where that beginning and muddling and, and transformational processes took place and how they occurred as meaningful, purposeful arcs of informational journeying from simplicity to complexity. It really is the hero's journey on a universal scale. <laughs> Thank you. You had a second point, I think, Bob, which reminded me... Well, yeah, if there's... Um... So you did mention the, uh, <clears throat> that, there, that, the, that Gaia has gone through those stages of transformation. And I guess the second part was something about whether, whether you see them reflecting all the other cycles of nature with a process of growth, maturation, decline, renewal. And, and if, if that's evident in the broader, larger, as you've told the story of Gaia level, then that seems to be 
another sort of verification of the principle of as above, so below. And what, and then the, the, the second part of the second part is what can we as human beings and inhabitants of and Gaians learn from and maybe, um, maybe even redirect our lives or, or, or rethink the way we see things based on that cyclical spiraling process that even the earth has and is going through. Thank you for, for reminding me and rehearting me of, of that really fundamental point and question. Because I do feel we are, we are microcosmic co-creators of the evolutionary story of our entire universe. You know, this is what's so important because we've forgotten that we are indeed inseparable from Gaia and our entire universe and therefore they and our ongoing story. And yes, we've seen throughout the whole of the whole of the universe's story, but also the planetary, our planetary home story, this these arcs, these waves that begin and peak and fall away. And in their falling away, they have formed the, the composting, whether it be gentle or cataclysmic, for the next generations of evolutionary impulse to be nurtured and taken forward. And so, yes, I think it gives us fundamental insights into, first of all, who we really are. In other words, we are inseparable from the entirety of Gaia and our universe. Secondly, that that inseparability does not imply uniformity. It's very much unity and diversity and ultimately unity in that we belong. It's unity in belonging in our diversity to each other and Gaia and our universe. And thirdly, perhaps it's, it's showing us at this time where we've been part of our journey, forgetting so many of these deep truths and fundamental nature of reality, that we've come to a point of unsustainability in our own story. We've really come to a point where the model has become unsustainable. And now we're having the evidence at all scales and many fields of research revealing this deeper sense of wholeness and therefore offering us a choice. You know, we've all been involved in, in a book that as, as evolutionary leaders called our moment of choice. And so we are, it seems to me, at a collective, in personal and collective moment of choice. Do we stay in that illusion of separation or do we wake up and remember we are inseparable and therefore accept the invite of our universe and Gaia to step into our conscious evolutionary potential as co-evolutionary partners in an ongoing story? So I think this absolutely is both potentially a game changer because we have the evidence. And finally, instead of being part of a meaningless, purposeless, dead, random universe, we're remembering who we really are as meaningful, purposeful, microcosmic co-creators of this incredible and ongoing story. Jude, I, this is a perfect place for me to jump in. Bob, what a brilliant question. Thanks for engaging Jude in that. Because you're saying things that, that are like lighting me up, this deeper sense of wholeness, this game changer with the evidence. And so, so Bob, I'm going to turn this back to you again. I, I see the story of wholeness and the story of Gaia really like essential and complementary, but like, like moving us into the new consciousness with an awareness that literally this deeper sense of wholeness brings us grounded right into the evolutionary story of Gaia and our time. Like this is all, we are evolutionary agents with Gaia in this, in this story. So, so your work on a new story of wholeness is essential here. And Bob, you, you also mentioned it's time to rethink, you know, it's time for us to reimagine and, and like helping to develop our consciousness in this way. So, so my question to you, yeah, um, and perhaps is, well, I'm not going to judge my own question. I'm going to throw it to you and then we can see where you go with it. But when I read the story of Gaia, there are certain chapters that are 
highly highlighted with yellow. It was like, yes, the, here's the evidence for my work as I'm teaching wholeness and conscious evolution and, and working with clients to help them evolve their own organizations and businesses and, and what have you, not only just their lives and their personal consciousness. So, so here's all this highlighted text in certain chapters that were really exciting for me to help teach conscious evolution. Um, in an exciting, grounded way. So I'm wondering if there are any places in the book that you got lit up about, or if you've noticed certain chapters in the book that, that you're going, yes, here's the story of wholeness and, and, and how that can help us move our consciousness along. So, um, I just want to jump in with, with that dialogue here and, and see if there was anything that really lit you up, Bob, and and made sense for your work and your voice on the planet. Well, yeah, thanks, Julie. I mean, that, there's so much here that just illustrates so well, so beautifully how. I mean, I uh, you know feel the same thing. How how well our two books uh, connect, interconnect, because they are really telling the same story which is when we look at, I mean, what I start out trying to do is give, I try to help people imagine what a sense of wholeness would really be like, just to imagine that all of creation is one whole. And, and then I go from there in my book to provide the principles and bring it, and bring it to the personal level. But the thing that becomes evident, I think, when we, when someone reads both of our books, if they did that kind of back to back, it would be, they would reinforce each other in pointing out how there really is no separation between the above and the below. They're so interconnected, interdependent, intertwined with each other, that that's what creates the wholeness and motion that makes up the entire creation that Jude was describing, focusing it on, focusing that story on our planetary home, and that I tell in my book, focusing it on on our intended inter-spiritual development toward uh, toward wholeness. And and so so I mean there were a lot of places in in Jude's book where, that I could point to. Uh, one would be the the many sections on how the cycles were described that um, that Gaia has gone through. But just to, um, there is one section, I, I mean, I, and I would actually rather have Jude read this than I, than I but because it's so beautifully written and it and expresses to me how the two books are so interconnected on the, on the macro level and the micro level. And at the same time, this, this passage that I'll, uh, that I'd like to have you read in a second. It, it really, it really highlights the um, the cyclical pattern that we were just talking about in a way that's so beautifully expressed and so important for everyone to to understand. So, Jared, if you wouldn't mind reading uh, your, let's, I think it's three paragraphs on page two sixty three beginning with at this completion of her story and going to the uh, to that paragraph that ends on the top of 264 uh, I mean that just that just expressed so well to me um, not only the pattern itself but but um, what is most important for all of us to remember as as inhabitants on this planetary home Thank you, Bob. I've got it in front of me. At this completion of her story, at least for now, I not only remain in wonder at the audacity, the audacity of the visionary magnificence of a cosmos that could dream such a thought that is our universe and Gaia, but in seeking to understand how this living marvel is co-created, my awe has risen to such heights of reverence and love that finding words to describe them has become nigh impossible. 
as I've continued to seek a deeper sense of how our universe is as it is, a possible answer to my initial question of why has also emerged. It tells of a universe that learns through its holographic and holarchic manifestation and through its explorative, experiential and evolutionary reflections to further know itself. Its innate unity through the co-creative appearances and tensions of its dualities with their universal masculine and feminine attributes then reconciles in its trinities of their child expressions. Their flourishing in the diversity and complexity of its ongoing journey will eventually come full spiral from unity to unity in diversity to a remembered unity in belonging and an ultimate return to unity. Thank you. That is one of my favorite quotes, too, that is just all yellow ink. Good one, Bob. I'm glad you brought that to Jude, which leads to one of her questions. So I'm going to throw it right back to you, Jude, when we're talking about unity here. Thanks, both of you. Um, it, whenever I read what I wrote, I can't actually believe I wrote it. it. It wrote me and I ended up in floods of tears, actually, during that those final few words. But... Um, Bob, yes, you've been incredibly supportive, both of the book, but also of other work that the three of us have been involved with, which is a realisation that the story of Gaia and the evidence that it brings forward enables us to articulate a new and unitive narrative to underpin and to frame, hopefully, our conscious evolutionary potential and potential transformations in the world. And I'd like to read back to you your definitions of a difference between story and narrative and unitive narrative, and then to ask a question of you. So you describe story as a weaving together of a sequence of events that may or may not be true. You then define narrative as the form structure or pattern an ongoing story is told in and then you deepen that perspective as a unitive narrative as being a truthful personal or collective story of living into the whole of the unified field of existence all around us and with that sense of the underpinning and framing of a unitive narrative, of unity in diversity, inclusion and belonging. I'd like to ask you what the evidence from the story of Gaia and previously the evidence I wrote about in the Cosmic Hologram, that unity is real. What does that mean for you? Uh, wow. Well, uh, so I'm not a scientist like you are, and even though I'm a train, I'm trained as a developmental psychologist. My evidence comes mostly from psychology, but even more so from my own spiritual understanding. And so, for me. The evidence, the strongest evidence, because I don't have access to the uh, scientific evidence, would be the, um, the 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 wisdom of the prophets and and other spiritual teachers over the ages, from the beginning of our existence to today. And um, for me, that also takes place, our, our understanding of not only scientific evidence, but also spiritual evidence happens evolutionarily, happens as an evolutionary process. 
which means that it becomes clearer across time than it once was, even though the first indigenous peoples, in some miraculous way, not only observed the laws of nature around them, but lived according to them in a way that they were used to and you know, wanted to, chose to live in harmony with those natural laws around them. They're just from observing them and their knowledge and understanding that came from that. So along with that, we've also had a series of other spiritual revelations across time. You know, Krishna, Buddha, Moses, Arastra, and Christ, Muhammad, in our time, Baha'u'llah. They've all kind of updated the awareness in their own way for that time that they have come in. And and for me, so all of that's just to say that for me, the, the, the because I personally put my faith and belief and everything pretty much in in that direction, because I don't have access to all of the latest scientific uh, evidence. What I do know, though, is that based on that evolutionary process, is that in our time, we have come to understand that science, the latest scientific discoveries and spiritual wisdom are in harmony. They corroborate each other. And so knowing that, whenever we do find scientific evidence and spiritual wisdom that connect and are saying the same thing, we know that we have some pretty good evidence right there. And, and one, um, just one quick example that I, that I use as a chapter heading uh, quote for in, in my book is uh, from, from Abdu'l-Baha in the early 20th century, which is kind of a distilling of all the way that we've come up to that point, integrating both science and spiritual wisdom. He said, the evolution of existence is one. The divine order is one. All beings, great and small, are subject to one law and one order. That was uh, by Abdu'l-Baha in the early 20th century, which which really illustrates so well, I think, the uh, the, the validity of the age-old principle of as above, so below. There's no and and based on that that I just read from Abdu'l-Baha, there's no separation between the above and the below as we've both been saying in, in so many ways for this uh, whole time. Thank you, Bob. I'm going to invite you, Jude, before I do one more last question. I'm curious, um, Bob bought, brought something in and I want to pull the thread. I think it's really important. The idea of science converging with universal wisdom teachings, spiritual teachings. And I, I really want to presence that. We're, we're talking about the story of Gaia. And yet, you know, many of our wisdom teachings have talked about this one thing and that, you know, here we're bringing in unity. So I'd love for you to just expand on what Bob brought through about the science now corroborating our wisdom teachings, spiritual teachings, and even our spiritual experiences and our I'm going to say non-ordinary states of consciousness in in people's mystical experiences and what have you is so important now that we just really hold them both um, together and and make it more visible. So unity is real, not just an ideal. I'm going to turn it right back to you, Jude, before my last question to have you expand on that just a bit. Thanks, Julie, and thanks, Bob. I mean. Bob is an absolute wonder in sharing this sort of journey from this sort of de developmental wisdom teachings across many fields, you know, across many, many different cultures. And we've been, we've been told this, we've known this at some level from when it began, you know, when we began our human story, when we literally began as a social species to share stories and narratives together 
to, you know, make meaning of our existence and our way in the world. And for many, many, many millennia and across many, many different cultures, that was a narrative that was unitive or narratives that were unitive. And then a number of centuries ago, we became to sort of separate that felt sense of unity and the spiritual sense of unity from a scientific exploration. And there's no blame here. And what's come forward has in many cases been marvellous. But progressively, the scientific narrative was one of materialism and separation. And because the evidence that was coming forward could be interpreted on that basis so powerfully, it then became our norm, our worldview, and all the structures and, and organizations and way of being that came from that. And there's a reason in a way why that happened, because from its early moment of that sort of movement apart, it was a movement where, you know, the religious authorities, you know, in the 16th century were basically calling her heretical any scientists that try to even look at the basis of spirituality. So it's a very good reason, very sensible reasons why the two came apart, but they're not apart. It's like taking the roots of a tree and then trying, you know, and then making the trunk separate. The roots are still there. They always have been there. And now we're realizing that even though the tree, the, the, the sort of the, 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 the two, if you like, separated trunk of the tree, appears different, it really isn't. And the latest evidence is taking us back down to the roots. And when we move back down to the roots, there we find universal wisdom teachings that have been there all along. So it's really a, a remembering and a healing of our, you know, misperception of the nature of reality. And because it's now helping us to realize unity is real, and realize that as above, so below is not separate, but reflective of a wholeness. And realize that, you know, we as human beings are microcosms of our, of the intelligence and the evolutionary impulse of our entire universe. We're now at a point where literally this can not only support our conscious evolution, but actually prevent our extinction because we've come to that point that Gaia's been many times in the past, where what can't progress, what can't evolve, cannot survive. So we have, a, literally, we have a, a choice, and what a magnificent choice. We have an invitation by our entire universe and planetary home to wake up, to grow up, to clean up, to show up, to link up, to lift up, to level up, to light up, to consciously evolve, to become co-evolutionary partners of that entire universal planetary evolutionary impulse. What an invitation. What a choice. What a wonder. Beautiful. And this is a choice of love. This is a choice of leaping into love. Beautiful. Together. Beautiful. Thank you, Jude. I'm going to invite Bob to respond to that um, with one last question. But first, I want to let our listeners know you've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show here, and you can find our guest. We're here with Dr. Jude Curavan. You can find her at judecuravan.com. And also the organization she co-founded, wholeworld-view.org, wholeworld-view.org. And Dr. Robert Atkinson, you can find... Bob at robertatkinson.net and also the One Planet Peace Forum, which he co-founded or founded, oneplanetpeaceforum.org. Okay, as a co-evolutionary partner, Bob, you are a co-evolutionary partner with this beautiful planet Gaia, <clears throat> conscious planet that we've been talking about. So it's important for us to, to vision this new world into being and to really create a positive future. So as a co-evolutionary partner, it's important for us to take some small personal action steps that we can do in, in evolving consciousness and shifting. So from your perspective, what is one simple action our listeners can take today to serve Gaia 
for the good of the whole and to really help substantiate a whole worldview. What would be one action step, co-evolutionary partner Bob? Action steps can either be outer-oriented or (laughs) inner-oriented. And we have a choice there as well. (laughs) Are we going to take action out in the world or in some way that might um, change who we are inside? And and I'm not going to put one above the other at all, but um, because I think we can do both at the same time, we really have to do be able to do both at the same time in some way. But it's a process, as we've been talking about. It's a journey, and one thing would be to keep in mind that it is a journey, and I like to think of it as a journey consisting primarily of a call to wholeness, which then involves a process of a period of going through the path of purification, but that is what leads us to our ultimate and inevitable return to wholeness. That's what we've all been, we've been talking about the whole time here. And, and there's so many things that each of us can do every moment. First of all, I mean, one thing would be on an inner level is just to remember that we're not alone because we're so interconnected and so interdependent upon each other, no matter what we're going through in our own personal muddle, we're never alone. We're always connected to each other as parts of that wholeness in motion. So keeping that in mind that we're always connected to each other and to the whole, including Gaia, we may be able to take that next step toward helping another in whatever way we come upon or whatever it might be that each of us has the opportunity for. Thank you, Bob, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Bob. It's been wonderful to be with you and and hear your wisdom. Thank you both. Great to be with you. And listeners, I want to leave you with some words from the story of Gaia. From its very first moment, our universe has embodied as an expression of cosmic mind, not only intelligence and meaning, but purpose an innate evolutionary impulse that has continued for 13.8 billion years and which is poised in every moment to continue its emergence into the future. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is part of a series on the big breath and the evolutionary journey of our conscious planet with co-host and author Dr. Jude Curavan. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, together... We are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash allthingsconnected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.